0: Hi, and welcome to Lead me in the way you'll have me to go. I really appreciate you all being here. If you listen to the first episode, you'll know that I said that I would be sharing my friend D's story of salvation. The reason why he gets his own episode is because I want to be able to take the time to give his story the attention that it deserves. He is the reason why I started this podcast. His story is the reason that I started this podcast. He's a man of little words, but he's a great writer. And he inspired me to want to share other stories and the word of God with as many people as possible. I'm not sure if that is his calling, but since I have met him, I think it's becoming a little bit more clear what his calling is which is to write and, and get the message out there. So I hope I can help in any way I can. And another uh, thing I wanted to say is that um, if you ever met Daryl today, you would have never known that he had a battle to deal with. And I think that says so much. And I'm very proud of the man he is today, although I did not know who the man was in the past, but I'm proud of who he is, and I'm proud of being his friend. So without any further ado, let's dive into Daryl's story of salvation. These are going to be Daryl's words, not mine, so I'm going to read it verbatim just the way he has it written, and I hope I can do it some justice. Daryl begins like this. I like to begin with my salvation story. I grew up in a military family. We never attended church. It's not that we had anything against it, just something we never did or spoke of. My father spent 20 years in the Air Force, and back in the 60s to 70s, the Air Force moved more than any other service. They have changed since then, and now a service person can spend two to three years at one place. We have lived in many countries. The longest we ever stayed in one place was Taiwan for 13 months. Every year was a new school year, sometimes even twice a year. Being the new kid in school meant I got beat up a lot. I was a new kid, the outsider, the weird kid. I never knew how to build long-term relationships with a friend because it was always time to move. My worst memories came from trying to get a seat on the bus or cafeteria. No one would let me sit with them. And I'm thinking, what do I do, stand in the corner and eat? I wanted to, but teachers wouldn't let me. And if there are any teachers out there, don't force kids to sit next to the weird new kid. That's like pouring gas on a fire. You think forcing kids to accept the new kid helps? No, it doesn't. It only made things worse for me. So... This is what made me into the quiet, psychotic acting person I am today. Then in the 8th grade, my father retired and we moved back to Waycross. My father and mother grew up near that area. And it was during this time I finally got some size on me and started playing football. Then I realized being part of a team meant instant friendship and acceptance, something I had never experienced before. So from the 8th grade forward, I was always getting on a team after each sport ended which got me into football, wrestling, weightlifting team, and track, throwing the discus and shot put, not running. The remaining school years, 8th through 12th, were great. I was in the jock club, the kings of the school, or so we thought, but the walls I had built around me from the younger years were firmly established. Fast forward to 1990 and I got a job at Valdosta State Prison where there was an officer named Ponder. He is a mighty man of God and stayed after me for seven years to get saved. Yes, seven years. And I fought against him, but he never gave up. He definitely has a special place in heaven. My goals were a lot different than Ponder's. After my first day of school at the prison, I decided that I wanted to be the most feared officer at Valdosta and then the state. I learned that to be feared is power in prison among inmates, and I like that. My thought process was that if society considered these inmates to be monsters, then I wanted to be the monster that the monsters feared, and I achieved that and enjoyed it very much. The way I looked at it was some of these inmates killed, raped, and brought fear into the lives of their victims. I was going to bring fear into their lives, and from the talk of the inmates over the years, I achieved that goal. When wardens would visit our boot camp program, they'd shake my hand and say, Oh yeah, Griffin, I've heard about you. Keep up the good work. After a year, I got on the tactical squad, which is basically like SWAT team. If a prison has a riot, then this team of 18 members goes in and takes it back with no guns, just a baton and shield. One night at a riot, the state patrol had the outside prison surrounded, which is normal procedure. It's a beautiful sight when you see the blue lights of 40 to 50 patrol cars surrounding a prison and they're not going in there. Everyone is waiting on you to go in. We suited up and went in and took it back. Afterwards, a state patrol officer came in and looked at me and said, y'all don't have weapons? I said, no, sir. He says, y'all crazy? I said, yes, sir. And then guess what? Yep, I wanted to be the most feared tax squad member in the state, and I'm pretty sure I achieved that too. And then I got involved in ITP, which stands for Intensive Therapeutic Program, a boot camp program for inmates. Lordy, that was like giving crack to a crackhead for my state of mind. If you wanted to be in this program, you had to attend a one-week course in Forsyth, Georgia, to learn the basics of marching and how to march a formation and a lot of physical training. After that, you attended a two-week course on an Army base in Alabama, conducted by Army drill sergeants who are not happy that you are there to earn drill instructor hat and certification in two weeks, when it took them eight weeks to achieve it and basically go through a boot camp yourself so they tried to kill us with a lot of physical training to make us quit and a lot of people did if you survived that then you could attend another two-week course in forsyth for senior drill instructor and once again conducted by army drill sergeants and special operation trainers who tried to kill you physically and mentally 54 started and 21 graduated now let me remind you that these 54 officers had already been through three weeks of training in order to get to this level. I still find it hard to believe that 34 dropped out. The governor spoke at our graduation. The boot camps in prisons was his idea, and we received medals. But most importantly, we now earn the right to wear black BDUs and the black drill instructor hat. Now we thought we were gods. And then they sent us back to our prisons and released us on the inmates in the boot camp man looking back i can almost feel sorry for them almost that is the boot camp program consisted of making the inmates get up at 4am clean their rooms make a bed polish shoes clean the dorm cut the grass march and physical training a lot of physical training a lot room inspections uniform inspections and everything else involved in living in a boot camp i did a lot of bad things A lot I had to go back and get a lot of forgiveness for those days. So let me tell you how God wanted to save me, and I blew it. Fast forward again, near the end of my seventh year battle with Officer Ponder, there was a religious group called the Power Team, a team of weightlifters. They traveled from church to church, putting on shows of strength, ripping phone books, breaking bats over their head and knees, tables, cement blocks and such. They came to a church in Valdosta and one of the nurses at the prison was big in that church and played a major role in getting them there when they found out she was a nurse at the prison they asked her to get the biggest baddest meanest strongest officer they had and see if you can bring him here for a strength challenge she went to the warden and said i need the biggest baddest meanest strongest officer you got the warden said yes ma'am i know just the man for the job at this point in time I'm a senior drill instructor. I'm running the boot camp program and commander of the tech squad. I was a nightmare for the inmates and a few officers too, but that's another story. Let us pause for a minute. Whenever I say heck from this point forward, I didn't really say heck. I will let the listener use their imagination as to what I really said. It definitely wasn't heck, but let me tell you, the level of intimidation I was operating on at the prison You know the gang called Bloods? Well, they use the same military ranking structure as the army, starting at with privates, or what they call soldiers, all the way up to generals. One day, we got a general from Atlanta at the Valdosta prison, which means he ran Atlanta for the Bloods. I didn't care when the bus of inmates arrived, which was every Tuesday and Thursday. I ran right up into the bus, cussed out all the inmates, and threw them off the bus. Just the same as any other day. Well, as he went through our boot camp for a month, one night I had him outside in the pens after he had been in there for several hours for some rule violation. Heck, I wrote 180 rules for our program. It was impossible not to get a rule violation. When I went to the pen and unlocked the lock, went, went in, cussed him out some more, he said, sir, permission to speak, sir. Yeah, they had to say that anytime they wanted to speak. Yes, one of my rules. Loved it. I said, speak, maggot. He said, sir, Mr. Griffin, sir, I know you know who I am. And I said, I don't give a heck who you are. He laughed and said, sir, yes, sir, I know that. I know that you don't, but I'm going back to my prison tomorrow, and I just want you to know that I've hated white men all my life, killed many of them myself, or had a soldier kill them for me. But I respect you, and I have never said that to a white man before. I heard stories about you before I got here, and they all turned out to be true. But let me tell you, I know psychos. I can see it in their eyes. I can see it in your eyes. I make it my business to surround myself with psychos because I know they will kill on my order without question and give their life to protect mine. I know you're a psycho, and I just wonder how you can pretend to be normal and work down here. You're a ticking time bomb. And one day you're gonna blow and i'm gonna hear about it and i'm gonna laugh i just hope you don't kill one of my boys i told him to get the heck out of my face maggot he just smiled and said sir yes sir fact is i just pretended to be a psycho to make my job easier but this was a real psycho killer who thought i was one too so i did a pretty good job at it now i did a lot a lot of physical harm to inmates but they brought that upon themselves I didn't just pick an inmate and make him have a bad day. They had to bring him to me. But my intimidation and reputation made my job easier than a regular officer. Many supervisors laughed and told me they could have a hostile inmate and tell an officer to call Big Griff. An inmate would say, now, now, hold on a second. We can talk about this. No need for that. I could lock a building down, meaning all inmates go inside their cell and close the door just by walking in and standing in the middle of the floor and stare at them. Officers would say, what the heck? There could be an inmate that refused to be handcuffed for whatever reason, and we get five officers suited up, which is helmets, padded vest, batons, and a shield, arm and leg protection, and we go in and get him. If I was working, I was always called to be on this extraction team. Probably did at least 50 of them. Now, I'm not saying my intimidation worked every time. Some inmates were just stupid enough to go through with it, but I believe they regretted their decision after that. And I was in seven riots with the tactical squad. but That's another chapter. But I say all of that to say was operating on this level of fear and loved it. And it's still hard to let go of that power of psychological intimidation today. Which makes witnessing for the Lord difficult when people think you want to kill them. I still look like a rattlesnake, but I have no fangs. But no one is going to get close enough to rattlesnake, to a rattlesnake to find out if he has fangs or not. So that's the dilemma I'm in. So anyway, back to the story at Valdosta. The nurse tracks me down and tells me about the show and asks, can I do it? I say, um, no. I was a man of even fewer words back then. Side note, listeners, that's hard to believe. So she goes for her best shot. She cocks her blonde head and flashes her blue eyes and smiles and says, are you sure? Please, just think about it. I say, um, no. She says, "Please, it would mean a lot to me." I say, mm, "I'll think about it." Wow, looking back, I can't believe I talked to her so much. So the warden calls me into his office one day. Heck, what did I do now? Or more like, what did they find out now? He talks to me about the show. I say, "No, sir, I ain't going to no church and doing no stupid show." He says, "Come on, Griff, it would be good for the prison." Tell you what, shows on Sunday. If you go and take, you can take off Monday. Um, oh, yes sir the nurse tracks me down again a couple of days later and says so you're gonna do it I said um yep she said great fantastic thank you now what they want you to do is they will stack up 18 flat cement blocks on top of each other and you break as many as you can with the swing of a sledgehammer sledgehammer remember that will be important later on and however many blocks you break, another guy will break that many with his head. I said, um, outstanding. Okay then, I'm thinking they obviously don't know who they're dealing with. So the night of the show comes and I'm sitting in the crowd with my beloved Diane and I'm dressed in my ITP black uniform, which is black boots, highly shined black BDU pants and shirt and black drill sergeant hat. Yes, sir. Dressed to kill. I met with the guys briefly before the show and they told me the plan once again sledgehammer and break the blocks they even show me the sledgehammer i say cool so the show goes on and i'll admit they did some impressive things breaking tables blocks bats and talked about the lord then they stack up the blocks two rows side by side 18 of them one by 12. i'm thinking okay this must be it i'm going to destroy all those blocks and embarrass those busters so the announcer starts talking about how they put the challenge out to one of your own hometown heroes that works at the prison and he's talking and talking and talking and I'm just thinking come on man give me the sledgehammer let's go I then noticed that all the power guys are huddled up in a circle and every once in a while one of them would look at me and then get back in the huddle three or four different guys did this and I'm thinking all right something is going on here so the announcer finally calls me up and I've got a video of it all by the way gotta see it sometime so I'm up on the platform standing in front of 18 blocks and they hand me a baseball bat what yes a baseball bat I look at the guys and I'm thinking of using it on them but figured that wouldn't look good for the prison and I would lose my job so I smile like yeah y'all got me but I'm still gonna break every one of those blocks so I hit the blocks and broke all but two the other guy steps up to his blocks and breaks all 18 of them with his head. Yeah, that was impressive. But hey, I would have gotten all with mine with a sledgehammer. So at the end of the service, they're preaching the word of God and calling for everyone to come down and get saved. And that knocking on the door of my heart that has been there for several months became louder and louder. Revelation 3:20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I started thinking about everything wrong with my life. All my talks with Officer Ponder. Jesus wasn't knocking. He was kicking on my door. But I couldn't do it. Every fiber of my being wanted to go to that stage and get saved and let Jesus in. What a great salvation story that would have been. But you know what? I didn't do it. You know what held me back? I'm ashamed to say. Was the thought of what would my friends at the prison think i was also known as a terminator no emotion and highly respected for it i'm gonna go back and say that i got saved so i couldn't do it i left there that night feeling like i had just made the biggest mistake of my life and it bothered me every day the next month was september of 2001 and then 9 11 happened i was in training with tax for forsyth We got news of the first plane hitting and thought it was an accident. Then the second plane and training was stopped while they gathered information. We waited about two hours and they were thinking about sending us to Atlanta. Then they let us go but remain on standby. I watched hours and hours of the planes hitting the towers and for the first time in my life I had emotion, compassion, tears in my eyes and I said, What the heck? I didn't know any of these people. What is going on? I had never experienced compassion for complete strangers before in my life, so then I started researching on the computer, how could God let this happen? I mean, Ponder told me God was kind, loving, and merciful, and all that good stuff. How could he let 2,000 people die like this? I then discovered God didn't allow it. This was the result of man's sick and twisted world. We turned our backs on God a long time ago. We told him we don't need you anymore. Leave us alone, we got this. God said, okay, then y'all run it and I will not interfere anymore. Today, you see the result of man's world. God is not gonna be controlled by us to step in and stop this evil or that evil that we deem fit to get rid of and then get on with our lives again. No, he demands all or nothing. He will not step in and stop this sin or that sin because if he steps in, he will stop all sin. And if he does away with all sin, he does away with me, you, and everyone else, because we cannot go a day without sinning. Ever notice when we don't have any problems, we don't shake our fists to the sky and say, why God, how could you let me have all this goodness? But when we have problems now, we have problems with God. How could he let this happen to me? So anyway, in a couple of a couple of weeks later, I was at home on the computer checking all the ponderous religious sites, trying to find out what I was good what I was going through. I wanted my life to change, but didn't know how to do it. And I came across what's commonly called the sinner's prayer. Something inside me told me, It's time you've it's time, you know, you've fought this battle for far too long and lost each and every time. I read the prayer out loud. I could barely read it with Without tears in my eyes, I somehow managed to finish it, and then I experienced something that felt like ice water running through my veins from head to toe. Second Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I didn't know what happened, but something happened to me. I didn't like cussing anymore or being around people that did. And I was a drill instructor working with drill instructors. Do you realize how hard it was to be that be in that environment and not like cussing anymore? 95% of my vocabulary was cussing and yelling at inmates. It was like having to learn a new language, trying to talk without cussing. One day, I told God, if you were real, then take away my cussing. A week later, I had another use of force investigation, which I probably had more of those investigations than any other officer in the state. I was on a first-name basis with these investigators. But anyway, I was put in a tower for two weeks. You know, the towers around the prison, you may have seen on TV or movies. Yeah, they say towers are not for punishment, but yeah, they're for punishment. But while I was up there, I was able to sneak in a pocket Bible and read as much as I could. When I did my two-week punishment, came out of the tower, I didn't cuss anymore. See God working there? You cannot change yourself by yourself. Only God can do that. And that is my salvation story. What's your story? And that, folks, is the salvation story. This story has been very, very inspirational to me. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to share it. And I just wanted to say how amazing it was that Diane was the nurse. <laughs> I was so happy when I read that. It's like a love story that for no other. And I and, and it, just, it just tickled me. Anyway. Um, and also. The fact that Daryl is such a wonderful person and and I've gotten to know him, it says so many, it speaks volumes about the kind of woman Diane must be. And I, uh, I don't know her, but I am eager to get to know her. Because to have a partner that walks with you in faith and inspires you to want to be better, and I think... That says a lot. And I hope to one day achieve that goal. I, I think a lot of us um, want that in our lives. So, wow. I love I love the story. And thank you for being an inspiration for starting uh, Lead Me In The Way You Have Me To Go. after you you read you heard um his salvation story then you know why i have the title i have on the bottom which says i'm lost as heck because i because a lot of us are um a lot of us have a lot of a lot of us have a lot of good intentions but we don't always um get where we'd like to go and also Lead me in the way you'll have me to go is something that we say every night when we pray. Just lead me. I'm here and I'm listening. The tree. The tree to me is something that I had heard a long time ago, but I've always loved trees. Trees are like relationships to me. You know, you have some that are the root. And will always be there. You have some people who are branches and they do their very best to hang on and to carry loads, but sometimes they break and fall off. And then you have the leaves and the leaves are beautiful and they're there and you admire them And but they never stick around. They're, they kind of wither away and then they're gone and then you get new leaves. And that's just how how it is with people. Sometimes you'll have people come into your life and they're there for a purpose and they're there for a moment. And then they, they're they gone and that's okay. Don't dwell and, and be hurt when people leave your life. They serve the purpose and then now they have to move on. You know, um, I forgot to mention how thankful I am for Officer Ponder if you ever listen to this podcast, thank you for never giving up. And thank you to the millions of people like Officer Ponder who always, you know, are there to try to get you to listen to the word. Don't ever give up. Because seven years is a long time and you were consistent. And I think that was wonderful. So Thank you all again for, for joining joining me here at Lead Me In The Way You'll Have Me you To Go. I hope you understand a little bit more about what we're all about. I hope you can hear your salvation story with us. We would love to hear it. I would love to read it. Um, if you have any questions, please message us and let us know what we can do to help you. I know that Diane and Daryl would be more than happy to answer any questions. So if you have questions, send them and I will ask them for you. And if you want to stay anonymous, that's fine. This is a place of no judgment and all love. So have a great day, guys. Till next time. Bye.